Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. European Football Podcast. I'm your host, James Rowe. Um, for the last time this season, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Scott Munro. Scott, good evening. How are you? Good evening, James. Yeah, not too bad. Just a bit tired. It's been a long last couple of days at work. Just hoping for this week to end and to enjoy yeah. the bank holiday yeah. here in the UK. Yeah, yeah well, we have, um, you, have, uh, you have days like that sometimes, didn't you? Uh, yeah, three days this week has been a bit mental, but yeah, we've got a bank holiday here in the UK, so okay. next week, so shorter week Sounds good. and a three-day weekend. Good. Indeed, very nice. Obviously, I'm not eligible for that bank holiday <laughs> here in the Netherlands, but never mind, you know, most things happen at sea. We are going to treat the listeners tonight to our highlights and lowlights of the 2018-2019 season, and uh, I thought we'd just chat about what we think will come to our minds when we reflect on this season 2018-2019 in future. So to start off, Scott, what what do you think is going to pop into your head first thing when uh, you think about the 2018-2019 season? Uh, There's a few things. Um, I will go home back in the UK for this and to a league that I watch. that I I'm, I support Swindon, so I'm, I'm a League Two fan. Um, and a highlight for me this season is what Sol Campbell has done with Macclesfield. Indeed. They uh, look dead and buried. They looked dead and buried when he took over, and they survived relegation on the final day of the season. I know this this is a European podcast, but this is a bit closer to home and in a league that I, I watch for the last couple of seasons, so it'll be three seasons in a row now, uh, <laughs> next season. Um, one more, uh, I've got a couple. Uh, one that stands out for me is, um, it's not a team, it's a player. And my other one is a team. Um, this is, uh, this. Uh, it's a player. Um, I've been watching Serie A football f- since probably the mid-90s. And this season, the scene... Um, a player who is coming to the end of his his, his career and he's done fantastically well in his career for, uh, in Serie A for clubs like Napoli, Juventus, and now Sampdoria. It's um it's Fabio Quagliarella and he's indeed thirty six. Uh, he's top goal scorer in Serie A above Piontek, above Cristiano Ronaldo, who's come from Spain to Juventus for so much money. And only delivered a league title, um, but Fabio Quagliarella has been ever evergreen. He had some problems when he left Napoli for Juventus, which we talked about not so long ago. What the story is: he had a stalker, which turned turned into to be a deranged policeman who was actually Goodness. he was actually helping him out. 
try and find the, the, the stalker and Quirella's dad um, put all the puzzles, pieces of the puzzles together and found out what happened and yeah he opened up in a in a, a Sky Italia interview after a game I think it was last year and yeah it was very emotional but this season he's been sensational for um for Sampdoria and I hope he has a probably one or two more years left in him and I he could probably get to Maybe 200 Serie A goals. I think he's not far off. I think he's on 150, 155. So, yeah, he's not far off. Goodness. Do you want me to go on, on my on my team? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's somewhere closer to home for you. It's Ajax. Oh, yay. Very nice. Thanks very much. <laughs> I think they've had a stellar season. We talked about them probably what September October time when PSV were on this amazing run in the Eredivisie what did they win the first 11 12 maybe 13 yeah first uh, first 12 I believe but I always maintained uh, Scott I always maintained that um, Van Bommel was managing and coaching the under 19s of PSV and the step up to Eredivisie level I've interviewed Eredivisie managers the likes of Hank de Jong Maurice Stein when he was managing in the Eredivisie as well, former Leeds player. And, um, you know, the, the commitment they have to show to manage at the top level in this country, it's not it's not easy. And um, I think that people were getting carried away but with the stellar career that Van Bommel had, where everybody thought, oh, they'll just win the league. But as you say, you know, even on the European front, to almost make a Champions League final as well, they've done ever so well. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think they can be very proud. The most important thing is they won the league for the first time in five years. They did it at such a counter as well. When yeah. The last and, couple of games with so much ease. Yeah. And, the, but the, the, you know, the group led by a 19-year-old, Matthias de Ligt, Frenkie de Jong, is going on to pass to New York, Barcelona. But there, there was pressure this season to win something, you know, and, and for them to have ended up doing a domestic double that's a, a good sign uh, you would hope that the majority of the um, the team would stay together I think CH will leave Matthias de Ligt may leave depending on what club comes in and all the ins and outs of that transfer Tagliafico is, stay, is, saying, is staying and I also believe that Andrea Onana will go I, I do have to laugh at the uh, at the press saying, oh, Ajax will just become another Monaco. The the lifeblood of the club is as one door opens, as one door closes, another one opens. The conveyor belt of young talent all the way down to right to six and seven year olds to give them opportunities to um, to progress in different teams. It's the lifeblood of the club, really, and they'll never neglect that policy. And it's also turned into a winning policy due to the generation of players they've they've got. So, uh, yeah, I second you on that. I think they've had a tremendous season and it's been fantastic to watch them firsthand. Yeah, um, just like as you said, that I don't think that squad will get ripped apart. Um, no. I think a couple no. of players will go. Um, the amount of money they're going to make in the summer off these players going is just going to be sensational. It's going to be what they've already got 75 million for Frankie de Jong. They could get north to 80 for the club captain Matthias de Ligt, who's 19 and he's got a broad head on young shoulders. And mm-hmm. they what get 25 to 30 million for Hakim Ziyech. Uh, I think they're looking between 35 and 40. 35 and 40, okay. I think that's what they're looking at, but they, they, they've 
they've been investing heavily in the South American market. There's yeah. quite a few Argentinian players. Um, Magallan has just uh, has come in as well recently, and um, they're really pushing for South American market hard, which is good, really. But I think they've done ever so well to buy uh, Kick Peely from Hulham Fame. I think here's here's a name you'll hear a lot more of next mm. next season. And should the lift go, Peely together with Pesos, uh, who they brought from um, for Dunis Sittard the season before last. Um, Slot in well, I think. Two for the price of one, really, and, and a good stable setting. Haven't they? And, just, yeah, be interesting. Sorry, James. Haven't they just purchased Lissandro Martinez from Argentina? Yeah, I believe uh, that that went through in terms of. I think there was a like a, um, a promotional video a video uh, done, and I know that a local media company spoke to him at the airport. Oh, cool. But um. I think I think it's interesting they're looking into the South American market, but they mustn't turn the screw too much. No, no. They, they must, you know, the, the secret now to pushing on and winning a 35th Eredivisie title is to is to buy domestically very very well. I mean, there's rumours of Berkeley, uh leaving PSV to go to Ajax, but he came from Ajax back in 2011, I believe. So, you know, he left for his reasons and it's unlikely he'll return. I think it's just people putting two and two together and coming up with five. There's rumours of Sillison maybe returning should he leave for Barcelona. Should he leave Barcelona? But you wonder if um, they also brought Kjell Scherpen from, uh, from Emmen, who had a very good uh, season. Emmen would be my story for 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 the season in terms of a club which is not very well known but this is a club who was playing in the top flight in the Netherlands for the first time ever and they've acquitted themselves really really well they managed to draw at home to PSV they managed to conduct themselves really well and they was um, tipped by many 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 people to be relegated with record point numbers and to hardly to hardly win a game and they fought tooth and nail every single game. And they, uh, they, they, they had a fantastic season. And it's something they can be very proud of, the way they, uh, the way they conducted themselves, the way they picked up points. And, um, yeah, a tremendous, a tremendous season where they finished 14th in the Eredivisie. And, and nobody would have, uh, would have thought, thought that was possible at the start of the season. This is a club that has a, an entire budget of 6 million euros. And um, Dick Lukin, their manager, who I've, I've interviewed a fair few players, and they say about his fantastic motivational um, man motivation tactics. He was assistant at um, at Feyenoord and assistant at Groningen in the past, and now he's got a top job or, or a, a good managerial job. And they've just had a tremendous season. You know, they they were founded in 1925, and to go on to play in the highest level uh, in the country. Um, you know, in terms of uh, professionalism, only in 2018, 2019, they did a tremendous job. I mean, I was uh, I was at Ajax Emmen back in August last year, and Ajax won six nil. And everyone's thinking, you know, when will Emmen be relegated? But they didn't get relegated. They finished 14th, and even picking up points away from home. You know, there was um, drew um, drew away in Bleda away to Nak, which is a difficult place to go, even though they were suffering. With their um, with their relegation form, winning in Tilburg with, uh, against Willem II, which is no uh, which is no easy feat, and also beating European 
playoff chases, Groningen at home. So they've had a tremendous, tremendous season and uh, very well done to everybody involved in Emma and I say. Hmm. They, uh, I was just, I was actually watching a bit of the Dutch playoffs over the weekend because um, hmm. that's, that's come to that part of the stage and um, Vitesse yeah. Groningen last night and very impressed with Martin Odegaard. Yeah, the the rumours are circulating already that Ajax have got to get him as a replacement for CH. Wow. But, but there's rumours this end that uh, Real Madrid will not sanction a, a bid. They will sanction a loan, but they will not sanction a, a buying outright. Um, I've stated on the pod before, there's a player playing for Vitesse by the name of Brian Linson, and uh, he's an excellent player. Is an excellent player, but because he's a bit rough around the edges and, and not as well known as the rest, he can somewhat get overlooked. But he comes from a footballing family where his brother is also a professional footballer, and I've followed him since his career when he played for um, Groningen and then Heerlijkles, and uh, now at Vitesse. And um, it, it's only un- very unlikely he'll ever get cats, but. He's a tremendous, tremendous player, and he's, he's one of my favourite players in the in the league. And I've followed him for so many years. Slutsky as well has done a good job. You know, the um, when he got the job, people were saying, "Oh, it's a bit bit left field from uh, from Vitesse." But uh, they finished fifth in the Eredivisie. Slutsky himself said about, um, "You know, this is a good step for him in his European European career." And Vitesse and Utrecht also met in the. Um, in the European playoff finals last year, Vitesse ran out winners, losing to, I believe, FA Basel in the qualifying rounds. Uh, they look a little bit more stronger now, but again, you only have to look at the qualifying rounds of the Europa League and Champions League to know that many, many good teams fell by the wayside. And um, there are no easy games in Europe. So even though it's looking likely that one of Vitesse or Utrecht will uh, qualify for the qualifying rounds in the Europa League, by no means. By no means are they assured of a group stage spot, mm. in my opinion. Do you have another highlight of the 2018-2019 season? Uh, another highlight would be, and I'm not just saying this because Ross is a Leeds fan, but I still do not think, um, maybe I don't get as, not, I get as much British coverage being based here in the Netherlands, but the story of Marcelo Bielsa going to Leeds, I, ju- I just think, even though it didn't have the happiest of endings with them not getting promoted, it's just a fantastic story. And I still do not think that people understand what Leeds managed to achieve. It is akin, it is akin to Nottingham Forest or Ipswich Town going out and getting Diego Simeone. In terms of you would think that would never happen. Never in a million years will, will they get someone like that. And they did. Why? Because of the history of that club. And Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa wanted to do something different. You know, the famous story of they left him a voicemail thinking, oh, we'll catch him the next day. And by the time he spoke to them, he'd already watched uh, 15 Leeds games from the previous season. And, um, you know, the notorious spy game, you know, where he's... He's sitting down telling journalists who think they know it all, that, but they've never managed a team in their life, never dealt with human beings on a daily basis, even in the, the it might sound churlish, but, you know, a player doesn't arrive for training. Where is he? Is he OK? He's not in an accident or anything, is he? And he had a PowerPoint presentation where he basically showed them what he does, what he does to prepare his teams well. 
And um, yeah, I think it's just a fantastic, fantastic story. I hope he stays at Leeds. I really do. I mean, it would have been a, a fairy tale story for him to get Leeds to the Premier League. But I just think the ambition shown by Leeds. There are many, many, in inverted commas, former top clubs, Scott, that could learn a thing or two. Mm. You know, we always say we always hear about the the famous managerial merry-go-round of the same names and the same faces. You know, but it just goes to show how quickly things can change in football. I mean, I was thinking the other day it was around about. This time last year, maybe a couple of months before, maybe about 14 months ago, I interviewed Graham Potter when he was manager of Ostersons. Look at him and, now. And look at him now. Look at him now. I said, I said to my partner when I was doing the dishes this week, I said, uh, 14 months ago he's managing managing in Sweden and now he's Premier League manager. Mm. 14 months later, I'm still in the same job. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 my next interview with Joey Bellabessi from Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, will be my 100th interview with a professional player, man, player or manager in the last three years. So I'm very, very proud mm. about that. So uh, good things come to those who wait, as they say. Mm. And uh, in terms of uh, just memories, I've been fortunate enough, fortunate enough uh, this season, Scott, to um, to go to 18 games in five different countries, 10 upon which were Arsenal. And it was a, a real privilege to watch Emery's first season at the Emirates at first hand I really really enjoyed it and half of those were European matches and um, yeah it was nice to be part of the European Europa League journey although I would like to give a shout out to the uh, Sporting Lisbon fans who were a little bit rowdy last November who were chastising a fair few Arsenal fans and it could have got a little bit messy but thanks to uh, innovative stewards but um, again, they weren't too uh, too friendly. Let's put it that way, you know. But when you go to watch your team play abroad, you're not just representing your country; you're representing your club. And in their cases, throwing the V sign and being a bit leery and that kind of thing was just a little bit strange, in my opinion. So I might, I might, when I look back, think about the leeriness of Sporting Lisbon fans in that respect. That game ended nil nil, didn't it? That did. That yeah. did. And. It, Jeremy Mathieu got sent off and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe had a good game. Nani played for um, for Sporting Lisbon and uh, yeah, my ticket was only uh, €19.50 so that was a good sign and uh, you've got to take your chances when they come but yeah, it wasn't the greatest game but um, you know, not every game you get to see Arsenal play uh, one of the biggest clubs in Portugal and they now have a Dutch manager in Marcel Kaiser. And um, yes, and also Ajax Benfica was good fun here in Amsterdam. You know, Ajax scoring right at the death to basically secure their passage into the last 16. And and just Amsterdam as well. You know, the, enjoying the journey of Ajax in the in the Champions League, where you know I was making a, a telephone call to double check a service I have here in the Netherlands, and I was double checking, making an inquiry. And before I put the phone down, the lady says, "Oh, good luck for tonight. Let's hope they win." And this is just a general customer service. So you see how it touched the entire city. You know, people that were not necessarily had a vested interest in football. But, um, you know, everybody went was riding the crest of, crest of a wave and, and the noise when the goal went in for the away leg against Tottenham. And also the, the sound of anguish when um, Lucas Moura scored that third goal to take Tottenham to a Champions League final was... Uh, was Two polar opposites, really. But, yeah, a, a great season. Started for me very, very early this season with um, 
going to Ajax Sturm Graz in the qualifying round of the Champions League and then on to Tallinn for the um, UEFA Super Cup final. So I had a very, very early start this season. It's been a very long season, but I'll look back on 2018, 2019 with a lot of good memories and uh, looking forward to the break now and uh, we'll get all ready to go again, I believe, the... I believe in uh, at the end of July. I believe. Don't don't forget there is some summer football in in. The Indeed, we have the African Cup of Nations and we have the Women's World Cup and we have Copa America, so it doesn't really stop. Do you? I think it just continue forever. I know. But, but I, I mean, I must say, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to interview the majority of the Dutch women's team that won the Euros in 2017. I will keep an eye on on women's football in terms of the final and the latter stages of the competition but also as a fan and interviewing professional players and managers Scott you you need to have that little bit of a break you know yeah. you need to, you need to have a you need to switch off even if it's just a little bit I mean you, you got to, I mean you, you can only get out what you put in in terms of enjoyment and in my case you know I never in a million years thought when I was Three years ago, when I started to interview professional players and managers, that I'd have over a hundred. But uh, you know, including the likes of Italian teams, I can't speak Italian, so it's good news that um, the likes of Empoli and Sassuolo and um, and Bologna uh, they can address me in English, which is nice. And uh, and for the rest, you know, being able to interview in Dutch and Spanish as well. So very lucky, but you just have to keep working hard. But uh, looking forward to a nice break and, and roll on next season, I say. I might have a blog post coming about about that about the burnout of football for the the football fan because I yeah. we, I, we no, both... I think I think I think that's a great I think that's a great idea actually. Yeah. I only thought about it earlier because I've gone through stages this season where I really can't be bothered to watch football. I could be doing better things. I could be going out, just going out for a walk around, around uh, nearby me in Swindon. I could be spending time with my family, or catching up with friends, and there'd be like some good games of football to watch. But I just really can't be bothered. That's probably one of the downsides of watching football this season is that I think there's a bit too much of football yeah, on TV. Oversaturation. But you know the thing that really annoys me, Scott, is the commercialism. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is a true story, right? I was in the process of moving house. Tottenham had beaten Ajax the day before. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth from my old house to my new house on the Amsterdam Metro. And all of a sudden, I see five, six, seven, eight, nine Tottenham shirts. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Not because it's Tottenham and I'm an Arsenal fan. But the fact remains is they've just beaten Ajax in a semi-final. Uh, no, I tell a lie. It was... Um, it was uh, the uh, the Tottenham Manchester City game. It was the quarter final, and um, I was going back and forth about my daily business. And all of a sudden, you see loads of Tottenham supporters or Tottenham shirts, and you think, "Hang on a minute, I'm in Amsterdam." And the commercialism of football is getting to the point now where you know yourself, and I know, I know the sacredness of wearing the shirt of your club. And how much it means. I mean, I, I stopped buying shirts more than 10 years ago. And for me, a match day program is enough for me, and that'll do. But it's as if now, with the shirts of different clubs, um, it's like a fashion statement. You know, like Gucci or Prada or Jean-Paul Gaultier and stuff like that. It's as if, you know, I'll... And I, I think to myself, like, I, I was seeing these Spurs fans on the Metro, and I'm thinking... 
if I went up to them and asked them, do they know anything about that club? In terms of how that club got started, where it used to be, where it moved to, you know, in fact, they haven't won anything for 11 years. Would they know these things? And I'm thinking, no, it's just being silly. But I just get to the point now where you think the commercialism is just getting to the point now where it's just, you know, you compare that to South America with Brazil or Argentina. I'm not saying these countries are dangerous. But if you go walking around Sao Paulo or Rio de Janeiro or Buenos Aires with the wrong shirt on, someone will say something to you. Not not so much in terms of threatening violence or something like that, but they'll just say, hang on a minute, what are you doing with that on? And it's as if the, the West kind of thing with Europe, it's just, oh, it's got to be, it's you're, you're called to wear the latest shirt of a team, in my opinion, in some cases. The fan, in, the fan themselves doesn't seem or wouldn't seem to know much about. Yeah, I agree. It's that one of the main pet peeves with me is fans not supporting teams, but players. I've seen so yeah. many... Um, when Ronaldo moved from Real Madrid to Juventus, I've seen so many Ronaldo fan-based accounts on social media just switch their alliances from one club to another, just all about just for one player. And it, it, I, I just don't get that. No, is that a, is that a generation thing though? Uh, more than likely. I th- I think to myself is is that a generation thing? I mean, like we know ourselves, we're both active on Twitter, and you see some of the things, and you think to yourself, you wouldn't say that to people's faces. No, true, uh, completely but, true. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, you get the case of Petr Cech with the with the Europa League final. Hmm. People are what they call atting him. This is a professional who's got better things to do with his time than, than sift through vitriol of strangers who, in some cases, don't even have a day job. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's madness, really. Yeah, it's madness. It's also it's quite damning of what um, social media has become in the last couple of years. It's just that it's just it's just become where people just want to go on there and just hurl abuse at people for just no apparent reason to look at alex scott bless her she's done an absolute amazing job but on a pun as a pundit um for bbc sport and sky sports and she's got absolute dogs abuse she's brilliant at her job and she's mm. come out fantastically well this season but people still give her dogs abuse. It's the same with Hayley McQueen. She's done a really good job for Sky Sports News and for Scottish football on Sky. Um, she's um, she's leaving now because she's heavily... I think she's heavily pregnant. No, sorry, I think she is heavily pregnant and she's about to have a baby. But she gets some absolute dogs abuse mm. on social media. There's no need for it. Indeed, there isn't. I think it says more about the perpetrators than... Um... But it says more about the perpetrators than the, than the actual people they're hurling abuse at. Before we move on to your segment about one of your low points for this season, Scott, I just wanted to give a shout out to our Polish listeners, and I wanted to say congratulations to Piast Glibitska, who have become Polish champions for the very first time. And uh, one of the low key stories of European football this season, but Mark Haitley's son Tom Haitley has uh, has become champion with them. Oh, uh, I was. Wow. I was fortunate enough to get in before the Daily Mail. Daily Mail had it as a Leicester-type story in the last week of their championship round. Not that I'm a Daily Mail reader, but it was sent to me by a Polish colleague. 
And uh, I would just like to uh, make the case that I was there for September beforehand when I interviewed him. So uh, if anything, they are for Johnny come late in this story. And um, yeah, when I spoke to Tom Hately, Scott, he said about his, uh, you know, wanting to deliberately come back to Poland and about Piast being such a good, well-run club with good people who work hard for one another. And uh, for them to become champion is uh, it's a fantastic uh, achievement for them. And they will be in the Champions League qualifying rounds. And you, you never know. We've seen comebacks and we've seen strange stories this season. So it could be that Piast Gliwicka will be playing in the Champions League group phases next year. Who knows? I've just seen he's had a, um, a stellar career. Born in Monte Carlo. Yep. Reading, Basingstoke, Tramit. Is it Slashk Vok Volklor? Yeah, I, I, won't, I, I was practicing uh, Piast Wilitska uh, for about five hours, so I don't want to try the other one. No, uh, my mum's Polish, so she speaks quite well oh, Polish. Okay. I'll ask her about how to pronounce and so she Okay. He, he also uh, went to Dundee. Fun, uh, unlucky, I, did, I don't know the language because I my only regret is not learning it younger, so yeah, which is a shame. <laughs> Bless you. Sorry for sneezing there, so very unprofessional. It's come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah uh, feel free to check out my interview with uh, Tom Hay. Yeah, I'll put it on your. Tw- I'll forward it to you on tw- cool. Twitter a little bit later tonight. But uh, yeah, very well done to Piast and uh, a great story. And uh, yeah, in, in UK media, as I said, the Polish colleague who sent me the link to the Daily Mail interview that he discovered. They made it out to be like a Leicester type story, which I, which in some cases it may well be, but uh, I just wanted to, uh, you know, rub my shoulder a little bit that I was there long before they were, because uh, I interviewed Tom, uh, Tom Hately for September before when the season had only just started. So uh, I'd like to think somebody knew their onions. Uh, Scott, you wanted to give, um, you wanted to make it, uh, listeners aware of one of your low points for this season would you like to elaborate on that please uh yeah um so last tuesday i was on my way to watch the england pakistan one day international um which was a brilliant day out uh in bristol i may have got sunburnt as well which was a low light which ugh, getting sunburnt in this country is not fun getting sunburnt abroad is is i could take but not here um it's the um i digress and so it was all about daniele de rossi it was like reading the news was like a dagger through my heart 18 years of service to roma only to be told two weeks before the end of the football season that you're not going to be playing here next season because you don't you're not a valid you won't be as valuable, sorry, for Roma in the 2019-2020 season. And then to be get offered as a pay-as-you-play contract, it's just, it's a bitter pill to swallow. It's it's quite disgusting. Um, a part of me wanted to go out and watch his final game. I, was, I may have left it a day or two late, but then I found out it was all sold out. And then mm. it, it sucks. It's just disgusting how uh, a club can treat one of their stalwarts and he is a legend at that club and he's grown up as a Roma fan he's played for his boyhood club and there's just the way that the club has treated him is disgusting and it's going to hurt and many Roma fans have protested in Rome and abroad um, there were some videos of Roma fans um, in Rome last week protesting and fair play to him it's 
it's horrible. It's disgusting. I, I will say the word disgusting again. Sorry, that's like four mm. times. But... No, it doesn't matter. As you say, it's your it's your say. It's your it's also your club. You know, so you have a yeah. bit more to say. You have a bit more to say than than most Roma fans. But thinking from afar, is it Jim Pilotta, the manager? Yeah, of the, uh, he hasn't come know, out well he, over this. No, he. I'm a, I'm a right in thinking he's an American businessman. Yeah, he's from Boston. So right, I'm. Funny, but what does he know about the local Roman culture as regards to mm. the club from Rome? I don't think he's been at the club for a while and he hasn't spoken no. to De Rossi over this. And no. he's got some vicious backlash over this. And his sister's restaurant page back in America has got some vile abuse from Roma fans. And many Roma fans locally and uh, abroad are not happy about this. Because in my, I wrote something about De Rossi last Wednesday. I was very tired and very sunburned. I thought, I've got an hour, hour and a half spare of my day. I, I wanted to get my feelings about it. And I was, I was frankly honest. It's, it's a player who's given his life, his, his blood, sweat and tears for the, for the club. And he celebrates every goal like it's its own because he's so passionate about the club. Um, maybe a bit too passionate in some games because he's got himself stupidly sent off. But he bleeds Roma and to have that taken away from him it's it's a bitter pill and it's um it's it's horrible do you think he'll stay in Italy I think he might go to the MLS there was rumors of him going to the MLS a couple of years ago um Um, anywhere in particular um I've seen NYC but I'm not too sure after that um there is rumours that Roma want him back at the club, but who knows? It's, the way that it's, this has gone on is just this. As I said, most Roma fans are not happy about it. No, but do Roma also know who their new manager is going to be next season? No, it appears don't. to be, you know, one minute is Sari, next minute is Gasparini, next minute is, is somebody else. Allegri. And, uh, yeah, very, very uh, strange times for the, the Roma club. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's going to be a whirlwind of summer. Yeah, well, I mean, it's already it's already started really with uh, the transfer links of this and transfer links of that. And going back to Twitter, Twitter, Twitter for a few seconds, when you give an opinion about a player that you really liked, someone will come up and say, "Well, no, he's 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 rubbish." Yeah. But you know, if you think he's really really good, like I get. I get abuse for thinking that Mark Albrighton is good enough to play for Arsenal. And people say to me, oh, no, he's not good enough to play for Arsenal. But, yeah, he's a Premier League winner. You know, he could teach that that team what it means to win a Premier League because mm. he's won one himself. Mm. And our current squad haven't got anywhere near it. The same way of uh, Hugo Lloris. Yes, he plays for the big rival of my club, but I think he's a tremendous goalkeeper. And, you know, he's, he's going to be playing a Champions League final and a World Cup final within the space of 12 months. Now, if he's that bad, he wouldn't be playing these types of games, would he? No, I feel the same way about Max Allegri. Um, he gets dogs yeah. abuse. And I feel the same way about Valverde. And he also yeah. gets dogs abuse. And mm. we talk about this all the time with Barcelona. He's won a domestic double and could be on the Akasamin, uh, another domestic double. But two nights in the last 13 months have cost him dearly. And that's all that Barcelona fans will remember him for. Yeah, well, as I say, I, I think I, I, we touched on it on the previous pod. I don't think he's a big enough name. 
And um, I think we've got, we've reached a point now where it's not a big enough name. But the fact remains that this name or person that doesn't have a, a vintage name, they've still got the papers to manage a professional football club. Mm. They still got they still understand what it means to manage a professional football club, and all the ins and outs of having to deal with humans and uh, human beings. And and as I say, in my perspective, with the managers that I've spoken to. When you hear, like in my case, you know, James, um, when I arrived at the club, this is Molly Stein when he arrived at Venlo, he, um, he said there were characters in that dressing room that were not conducive to winning. So I had to get them out before we could start winning. And within two years, they got promoted. So people hurling abuse, saying he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. They don't, have, they don't understand the ins and outs like that, do they? No. But again, no. If, you don't un- if you don't understand the ins and outs of things, and you shouldn't really talk about them, but I think we, 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 we the platform is, is now so where someone can go into a meltdown and all their viewers will, will uh, or listeners or viewers will go into overdrive, and then the person who's quite timid and well spoken and, and doesn't really, um, you know, insult anybody or criticize anybody and goes about their business in a decent way, very, very, but. It always comes back personally to me, Scott, is that people have to take responsibility for what they do and what they say. And I think we live in a we live in a world now where nobody appears to want to do that anymore. No. But I know it's, I know it's hard. But like for example, you see some of the things written on Twitter, and you think to myself, you wouldn't say that to their face. But um, you know, we get to the point now where you think in maybe five years' time, if you're going to have like the thought police and stuff like that, you know. And um, different generations and stuff. And, um, yeah, very, very strange times, really. Yeah, that's what social media's become now, isn't it? Yeah, but, it's, but you also have to remember, it's when used properly, it can be a good platform. Yeah, but when it's used poorly, it's something that so many people want to stay away from. Yeah, well, understandable. Uh, completely understandable. Life is far too short to be... Uh, to be with to have strangers hurling abuse. I think it's some. I'll sum it up brilliantly by the following. I was on holiday in Los Angeles, and I was staying in the uh, little Tokyo Arts District, and there was um, street painting, you know, on the on the sidewalks and pavements and roads and stuff like that. And one of the street paintings were the following. It was a basically, you know, the um, LA sign. Oh, yeah. You know how that's wrote? Yeah. Well, this was a message written in that sign of the, uh, in the form of the sign saying the following uh, Stop making stupid people famous. And I think that sums up Twitter on something. The majority of people on there who think they are very, very big when really they are very, very small. I think this message conveys it quite well. They need to stop making stupid people famous, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, and just, just I hope they just use the platform in the right way because uh, I've noticed in the last year or two, it's sometimes it's just damning and just the way that some people use it, they just use it as their own vitriol just to attack people. Yeah. But you wouldn't do that in your, in your day-to-day life, would you? Oh no, God no, because you'd I mean, if there were, arrested. if there were, con- if there were consequences where, for example, you knew someone from a, from a police, uh, a police unit will come and speak to you and basically put the frighteners up for you to stop you doing something like that 
you wouldn't get people doing it anymore, would you? No. But obviously, because that isn't there, and people think they can do whatever they like. But I mean, I personally think we're going to reach a point where the people that spill vitriol and go about their business as if they're untouchable, are they really so naive to think that's going to be able to last forever? Mm. You know, generations change. Change is the only constant in life. I don't mean to be philosophical. But it is. Change is the only constant in life, the way you look, the way you act, the way you think, and all these different things. And um, But yeah, we, we use it for the good of football. And uh, Scott, um, I'd like to say thank you for joining me on our journey this year on the European uh, podcast on Man in the Park. Oh. It's been great fun. Yeah, no worries. Uh, likewise, I use this as a, a good platform. Um, I was going through a difficult time last year. Um, I just lost a mate to suicide. Um, which I, I wrote about in December um, in, a, in a piece about dealing with anxiety and stuff like that. I was going through some personal problems last year with my dad and just like talking about football in general and some other stuff. Mm. Uh, and, wrestling. and cricket. Wrestling, cricket as well. Um, it's it's helped out. It's helped Rome. Out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. America, uh, maybe Canada this year, uh, later this year. Very nice. Uh, it's just helped me out. Um, doing podcasts has just helped me out over the last eight nine months, and personally, I'm in a better place. And thank you, James. It's been it's been brilliant this year. We've we've talked a variety of yeah. of European football, and can't wait to do it again next season. Yeah. Yeah, and fingers crossed we'll be able to do on location as well. Yeah, can do. It, it depends on uh, yeah, if we get fingers the right. Fingers crossed. I'm I'm hoping that none of the Arsenal matches clash. That I might have plans on, or any potential IX ones, but it would be nice to uh, to do one on location from the Eternal City. Yeah, because um, it looks like Rome will be in the Europa League, so everything it looks like everything will be Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday from next season. Okay, well we can look and see what's possible, and I'd love to join you in Rome. Yeah, if I if I plan to go, uh, it just all depends on money and at all. But yeah, more than likely. Okay, well, we'll have to keep our fingers crossed. Scott, would you like to tell the listeners how they can get in contact with you and ask you maybe questions over your expertise during the summer? Uh, yeah, you can follow me at Scott underscore Munro. I always am in an hour in whether to take a break off social media for the summer. Um, I think I might yeah. do, it, do it a little bit for a couple of weeks in the next week or so. Yeah, just, why not? And just Something en- different. Yeah, and just enjoy the Cricket World Cup in the Ashes. So if anyone wants to talk yeah. to me about that and maybe a bit of uh, European football, just, just give me a, uh, a follow and ask away. Okay, great stuff. My uh, Twitter is at James Rowanell. I have interviews coming out of my heroes, so I don't have the luxury of stopping anytime soon. There's no rest for the wicked. And um, I never reveal the names of the players I um, managers I have interviewed. They're always put on my Twitter handle. So if you want to know what players and managers I've got lined up all over Europe, then you'll have to follow at James Rowe and Ill. We'd also like to point you in the direction of the Man on the Post podcast network with the likes of Unusual Efforts and Man on the Post Extra Time and obviously our own podcast. Finally, I'd like to thank the listeners for all their patience this season and I hope they've really enjoyed it. We plan to carry on uh, our good work into the 2019-2020 season. And uh, thanks for being with us. And always remember to keep your man on the post. And we wish everybody a great summer.